Welcome to Telltales, an investing podcast hosted by Hunt Lawrence, Jason Wallace, and Mike Nicoletti. Each week, we discuss topics ranging from geopolitics and macroeconomics to energy and technology. You can sign up for our newsletter at telltales.us. That's T-E-L-L-T-A-L-E-S dot U-S for additional data and content you can use to follow along. The following conversation is intended for informational purposes only. You should always do your own work to determine if an investment is suitable for you. I'll apologize in advance for my singing voice. (laughs) (laughs) Can't be worse than mine. Okay, here it goes. Ready? Uh, Three, two, one... Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear heart. Happy birthday to you. Oh, thank you, thank you. Let's get world world oil supplies out of this. Let's let's go to Exhibit C. We 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 have a lot to cover today. Plus a, a special prediction from me that I worked out with Mike this morning, and I don't know whether Jason has heard about it. But within fifteen or twenty minutes, the non-tech person on the phone is going to have a prediction. But anyway, on Exhibit C, nothing that we didn't cover last week. The price of oil is moving up. It's because of curtailed supply. That is not healthy. It's better to have it move up when demand is good. Demand in China has been scaled back a little. Please look. And when you're thinking about the price of oil, the world uses about 100 million barrels of oil and liquids. Only about 80 million barrels is oil. The rest is liquids, which lots of that goes into chemicals. But let's say 100 million barrels. 16 of the 100 million barrels is China. 20 of the 100 million barrels is the U.S. So the U.S. and China, the two largest economies, are 36 out of 100 million barrels. We're still growing a little bit, and China's still growing. But Europe, which is 14 million barrels, is flat as a pancake. And Japan, which, you know, is a large economy, but, you know, not a very large aerial extent, is only 3 million barrels. So at some point, oil demand is going to flatten out. And and I think it's in the process of flattening out in China. I think it's in the flattening process of flattening out in the U.S. And I think it has already happened in Europe. So let's just keep that in mind when we're talking what the price, future price of oil is. Exhibit B, which is U.S. gas supply. The only way U.S. gas progresses, I mean, let's go through the history here. It was 270 average in 2019. It was 220 in the COVID year. It bounced to 370 average in 21. It averaged $6 last year, and it's going to average like 280 or something this year. Now, let's look at the storage change. The storage change in 2019 was a billion a day. That's 350 Bs. That's a lot. I mean, the total amount of storage available is not to a heck, not a heck of a lot more than four trillion. So, 350 bees is a lot. Storage change in 2020 was a be a day. Somehow, with well, it was LNG demand going up by from 7.2 to so by over three bees in 21. 
and the Ukraine war and LNG at $40 caused U.S. drillers to get very aggressive. And, and you know, and 22 as well. So from 20 to 23, gas production in the United States went from 90 to 101. I mean, that's 11 Bs. You can talk all you want about LNG being important, but LNG only goes up by two Bs a day or a billion and a half. If over a three-year period, you go up by 11 Bs, that, that's not sustainable. And in fact, storage change in 23 is going to be three Bs a year, three Bs a day. Three Bs a day times 365 days, that's a trillion. We only have four trillion of storage. So maybe gas is better in 24 and 25. It probably will be. But gas has not moved very much with all the heat. That's because of the extra storage. The plot estimates there's still 350 Bs of extra storage. So gas hasn't moved that much. Suppose the heat doesn't get that gas storage down by the time we get into September, October, you could see some very low spot prices. So don't panic out of your gas price. You know, these things, your Anteros and EQTs and whatnot, they're good companies. They'll do fine. But if you're looking to add or start a position, might be better to wait until September and see what happens. Exhibit A, which is cash flow statement for the U.S. government, say the same thing I said last week. I'm going to try to get some new CBO numbers to uh, support this, but I do think we are making some progress on the deficit. The problem is, when you look at the political landscape, if Trump is the nominee and Biden's the nominee, the Republicans probably won't hang on to the House. And the only reason that that deficit is somewhat less is because the Republicans have the House by four votes. So something to worry about. Nothing on page 20 to speak of. I did add Biogen to page 19. The reason I added Biogen is they have an approved Alzheimer's treatment. And if you think about making money from biotech, Mike and Jason have a little different view on this. But for me, it's the, it's the coming up with medicine that treats lots of people. Obviously, Alzheimer's, lots of people. Cancer, the different kinds of cancer are lots of people. But we'll get to that in a second. Just want to complete any, uh, any updates we have here. Don't really see anything in the next few pages. Going to add a company this week called Hilton, which is in the hotel business, but they franchise their hotels. And it has pretty good cash flow characteristics. Hard to find a page to put it in, but I think it can go on page 16 with McDonald's and Starbucks, Chipotle and Celsius. Page 15, the healthcare companies, the biotechs. If someone's going to find medicine for different kinds of cancers, you know, it's probably going to, I mean, it may likely be BioNTech or Moderna who, who did all that good work finding a vaccine for uh, COVID. The problem with those two is there's not going to be too much vaccine sold this year. So they're going to go from having a lot of cash flow to not too much cash flow. The good news is they have a lot of cash on hand, $10 billion in the case of Moderna, $18 billion in the case of BioNTech. But there are two companies that Mike and Jason have found on this page that are have significant drug discovery efforts underway, and they have free cash flow, Lantheus and Vertex. 
So in your goings and comings, please get yourself informed on those two companies because that is better from a financial point of view than no matter what you think about BioNTech or Moderna. The fact that they're doing it all out of cash flow is terrific. Page 14, everyone talks about onshoring and manufacturing things in this country. Two of these manufacturing businesses, Caterpillar and Deere, do it in this country. They also do it overseas. But these are world-class companies, good manufacturing capability, trading for you know 14 or 15 times free cash flow. Definitely worth thinking about. I updated the J.P. Morgan, Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs page. The, the fact is, from the interim reports, J.P. Morgan is making progress. Morgan Stanley's holding its own. And Goldman Sachs is having a rough time coming out of their effort to do retail business. But, you know, Goldman, I think, will snap back. The three gas companies kind of move in unison, Antero and EQT and Chesapeake. We talked about gas earlier. The four oil companies, EOG, Magnolia, Permian, and Diamondback, they're all going to benefit from oil easing up. They're all pretty good companies generating free cash flow. The midstream companies, KMI, Enterprise, Energy Transfer, and Western Midstream are doing okay. I do want to call attention to the fact that they're not paying down debt. I mean, EOG is a terrific company, upstream company, has no debt. Enterprise, terrific midstream company. But, you know, between the interest and the distributions they make and the CapEx to maintain themselves, their business, they don't pay down any debt. The Exxon, Chevron, Conoco, Oxy page, these companies are doing pretty well. They're going to be reporting way lower earnings because of high pricing, but they all have pretty good free cash flow. This weekend, going to add Chenier to this, so there'll be five things. The reason for adding Chenier is between Sabine Pass and Corpus, they're a pretty high portion. That's like you know half, more than half of our LNG exports, so I think it's a company to monitor. The retailers, Lowe's and Home Depot, continue to do pretty well. Target's a bit challenged. Walmart is trying to do the best job they can competing with Amazon. MasterCard, Visa, PayPal, we haven't updated those. Those are great companies. I'll try to update those this weekend. PayPal just can't quite get the job done. You remember Elon Musk comes from PayPal. Uh, One of his plans for Twitter or whatever he's going to call it is to make it a payments company. But Being a payments company and competing with MasterCard and Visa is tough. AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile, these companies have a lot of debt. They're a bit challenged with the debt. T-Mobile outperforms the other two. Carter and Comcast, you know, with all the... And Bob Iger from Disney says he wants to sell ESPN and ABC, and he thinks they're sharply declining businesses. That does affect cable. Now, what Charter and Comcast are turning themselves into. Of course, Comcast, you know, is creating content. They're interesting companies, but probably a little flat. The Netflix, Walt Disney, Amazon, Meta page. Meta's coming along. We'll try to draw Jason out on that in in terms of how they're handling AI. Amazon has underperformed ever since Bezos left. Jassy, the successor, has his work cut out for him. But generally, investors who've ruled Amazon out were wrong, but you know that's when you had Jeff Bezos, really compelling leader uh, in charge. Now Jesse has the job of trying to do the same. Disney extended Iger's contract. 
you know, really pretty challenged. Netflix had pretty good interim results. They uh, they do have free cash flow. That gets us all the way to page three, which is the NVIDIA page. We'll cover this in some more detail, but TSMC had lower lower results and predicted lower results for the rest of the year. We won't hear from NVIDIA. They're a month off, so we won't hear from them until August. The Microsoft page, Microsoft had a little lower results. We're going to get Mike and Jason on that in a second. Alphabet had somewhat better results. Tesla is predicting uh, that they're going to sell the cars, but they're going to sell them at lower price, and they have the capacity to do that. With that, we pretty much covered everything. want to switch back to uh, page one and have Mike give us, a, give us a view on the Alphabet results. Well, last week we talked a bit about not killing the golden goose, which is search. And the results were interesting in that search grew. So I think the view investors have of that, that earnings is, is that it was more of a sigh of relief that our golden goose has not been killed or hampered or cannibalized or whatever by large language models and generative AI. If you compare that to the Microsoft results, which weren't interpreted quite as favorably, basically Microsoft's going to have to spend a bunch of money on NVIDIA GPUs, and their future growth is still not materialized. They've announced this Microsoft 365 Copilot product. More customers are adopting the GitHub Copilot product, and they've announced their strategy for essentially what you've been talking about the last few weeks on how does a company take their data and wall it off and protect it from being sucked up into a third-party system so that you can keep your data secure and utilize this technology. So they laid out the vision for that, but it's not, you know, I, I wouldn't expect that many companies are able to do that today, and it's going to be probably a couple-year process before some large enterprises are really able to fully utilize that stack. We've discussed other ways in which customers can do that, like Snowflake. But for now, Microsoft will be one of the main places that people go. Jason, where is NVIDIA going to get capacity? I mean, if Taiwan Semiconductor is predicting lower sales for the second half of the year, does that mean they're sold out, but they're just selling millimeter material or what what exactly is going on there yeah so so the high performance computing is only i believe seven percent of taiwan semiconductors business and that part of the business is growing rapidly they expect it to double i forgot the time frame but the read through on that is that if if nvidia is all of the capacity on the n4 node which is what produces the h100 the revenue potential is, I mean, you're talking $80 billion-ish um, a year. At least that's some analysts that I've read have, have mm-hmm. hypothesized that. Yeah. Yeah, so, so the, the demand for AI chips is off the charts. I think I'd heard your wait time to get a, a new NVIDIA GPU if you're putting in a bulk order is two quarters. The flip side of that is all the rest of the chips that Taiwan Semiconductor makes are, don't have that demand. 
if you think about how much PC and smartphone demand is slumping, that's the still the bulk of their business. The orders from Apple for the new iPhone cycle are not greater than last cycle. So that's not growing. And then their the PC business kind of fallen off the cliff in the last year. So NVIDIA is getting all of the capacity they can possibly get their hands on, but they're just, you know, a, a piece of TSMC's business. Can NVIDIA somehow re-engineer their chips to be able to use a larger node that would be available with TSMC or Samsung or I think the short answer is no. They you would just it would essentially you're you're using an older design of chip. Every new generation is faster, you can cram more transistors into the same space, and it's more energy efficient. So if you tried to do the same amount of compute with the same number of transistors on an older process, it's just going to use a tremendous amount of electricity, create too much heat in your data center. It just wouldn't be feasible. So, th- so they can't really go back, unfortunately. I was going to make a prediction, which I'll withdraw. No, you shouldn't. You shouldn't, because the company that you're talking about does have a four nanometer node. Now, I don't know if it'll totally work, but I think it's worth talking through. Yeah, my prediction. I don't know. If I told you, Jason, and I dreamed this up. You know, during our twenty minute conversation this morning, is that Intel would somehow be able to announce that they are one of their the first and most significant foundry customers is NVIDIA to make more GPUs. But if you can't go backwards in terms of uh, wider notes, I, I, I don't know how that happens. He did warn me that this was coming. <laughs> I, thought it was, uh, I thought it was very interesting. Um, you know, the White House and, uh, has made it clear that the, it's a strategic asset to have chip production in the U.S., so if you're talking about high-end AI chips for the military, you'd want them made here. And that's the whole impetus behind you know, tax incentives to bring, to bring the TSMC fab to Arizona. But if they wanted to expand that production out to a U.S. company, you know, they, they could certainly look at that. And they could probably use more trailing-edge technology they've, they've designed out to do that. Another problem though nvidia would have in, in trying to do that is it's not just printing the chip i guess if you will but 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 actually packaging it together and building it so they use a lot of proprietary tsmc technology to layer the different semiconductors together and package it into like an actual product a chip that we we would recognize and the only other thing i'd add is that the fork nanometer process at intel which is on EUV technology, it would take a lot of gymnastics to like take it from Taiwan Semiconductor and put it onto Intel. It's not just that they're, you know, let me take my order here versus there, but it's also not impossible. I mean, we, we know that NVIDIA is trying to do this with Samsung. And, and has in the past. And has in the past, yeah. So none of this is not feasible. Oh no, no! I'm, I'm, I think it's very unlikely. Maybe how, more likely than AMD. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How hard is it for AMD to try to catch up and have a uh, a server farm product that that people would consider, if to the extent that they've got a two quarter lead time to or wait time on the video? Yeah, that, that's and that's the reason why a lot of companies are pushing to 
try to make that happen. So really the moat there is software and not hardware. AMD probably could design a chip, you know, almost on, on par performance-wise with the hardware, but really it's the CUDA software library that is preventing you from just migrating your your AI libraries over. In fact, I've seen a couple articles recently saying that there's competition for CUDA and, and they name a couple of the machine learning libraries specifically as being competitors. I think that they're kind of missing the mark. The real competitor to CUDA is AMD's product that they call RockM, and it's a direct comparison. So it, it is the instruction set that you program to, to, to make the GPU work. And then I think where, where a lot of the journalists are kind of getting it wrong is, is they're saying these Python, Torch, Triton libraries. So PyTorch is as a, it's open source, but it's originally from Meta, and Triton is a similar library spun out of OpenAI. Um, but those are really layers on top. So that's how you program your machine learning models versus how you program against the GPU, the hardware. So if you think about it more in a, like a traditional sense, um, it's your, your programming language to make applications work on your laptop versus you know, you're not worrying about memory allocation anymore and, and instruction sets to the CPU. And if any of that went over your head, we are writing <laughs> yeah. an article on this and we'll send it out and it'll probably, well, I, I think we have some good analogies to make it make sense, but we'll, yep. we'll wait till the article comes out. Yeah. Now, Jason and Mike, I went over quickly. He's got about five minutes left. There are probably 60 or 70 companies that I covered in about five minutes. Do, you, do either of you have any questions about any of that that uh, would that you'd like to try in the remaining five minutes? Yeah, I think we should talk about Biogen since it's a new one on this list. They just released earnings. They have this new exciting drug and it's currently priced at 20 times free cash flow. So that's like a number that we're relatively comfortable with as investors. But I think when we look under the hood, we're going to decide that it could be cheaper and the main reason is that the cash flow that they're generating today, a good chunk of it is going away. At least a billion dollars of annual revenue is going to disappear because of a patent that has expired. And there's more coming from there. So they really need to replace that revenue. Now, the first hope was the initial drug, I forget the name of it, that got approved, very controversial, overruling by the head of the FDA, Janet Woodcock, that basically approved a treatment that had shown no efficacy and the safety data was probably somewhat questionable. Her theory was that if we approve this, we'll create a market for it. And that sort of worked, except this drug didn't get picked up by anybody. No insurance really wanted to pick it up and paying out of pocket for something that had very little evidence for it didn't make a lot of sense. So the next step was a partnership that Biogen did with another company. And Jason, maybe you want to talk through that one? Yeah, so it was with a, a Japanese pharmaceutical company called ASI. Biogen negotiated a, a killer royalty agreement for the first one where they were going to capture 92% of sales, but it came with this, you know, also a 50-50 split on profits for the next treatment, Alzheimer's treatment you know, in the works. So when the first one got pulled from market, 
they fell back to the second one, which doesn't have nearly as favorable economics for Biogen. And that's the one that just recently received approval. And likely reimbursement from Medicare and Medicaid. Mm-hmm. So that, that's the big, the big change, the big driver. What we've found interesting is it's not really a treatment for Alzheimer's. It's a treatment for the growth of amyloid plaque in your brain. So some of the research tying amyloid plaque to Alzheimer's is, has been called into question in recent years. So, you know, it's, it's a question of if will this work? And that's, and I think, kind of still to be seen. It, it works in, in slowing the growth of the plaque, but will it, will it slow down disease progression? Right. So they forecast the 2028 revenues for that product to be up to $7 billion. That's 50-50 split. So we're assuming half of that falls down to Biogen. We're assuming otherwise their revenues get trimmed by a billion dollars due to the one maturing drug, although I haven't gone through everything. I'm sure something else matures within that five-year period. So anyways, best case scenario, based on their forecasted SGNA and forecasted R&D expenses, this thing ends up being like a, uh, called a 60 to 65% return over that five-year period. Um, or I think the IRR boils down to call it 15% if you count the cash flows on each each year. So that's like best case scenario, I think, for this company. And it just barely meets that return hurdle that we talk about pretty frequently of uh, 15%. So I think there's better deals out there. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, and on the downside, you know, there's, there's a lot of competition out there and a lot of researchers trying to cure or prevent this disease. So I, I think there's a lot of different angles that the researchers are going at it, and it's not unlikely that something else pops up out of the blue that would impact their sales in, within the next five years. Yeah. I think next week we'll have a similar conversation about cancer medicine. And in the meantime, everyone stay well and stay healthy and try to go sailing as much as you can. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. The views expressed on this podcast are the host alone and do not constitute an offer to sell or a recommendation to purchase or a solicitation of an offer to buy, any security nor a recommendation for any investment product or service. While certain information contained herein has been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, neither the host nor any of their employers or their affiliates have independently verified this information and its accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Accordingly, no representation or warranty expressed or implied is made as to and no reliance should be placed on the fairness, accuracy, timeliness, or completeness of this information. The hosts and all employers and their affiliated persons assume no liability for this information and no obligation to update the information or analysis contained herein in the future and may or may not hold positions in the securities mentioned. 